This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 222. Like a 222 Remington. Uh, welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows. A reminder that if you haven't checked it out already or mentioned it to your significant other, head on over to the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast for a lot of the same great content, but just presented a lot better from the female perspective. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today joined by Matthew Marister. What's up, dude? Hey, Riley. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well, man. And we also have with us today, Bruce Gagno from Primary Machine down in Morgan City, Louisiana. How are you doing, Bruce? Good, man. Can't, can't complain. <laughs> right on, man. Hey, we're pleased to have you on the program today. We're going to be talking about uh, custom modifications, slide cuts, optic cuts, uh, and whatever else comes out of that conversation. So it should be some, some interesting uh, conversation today about uh, modifying guns and particularly you know, should we modify a carry gun? And Matthew, you recently got some really sweet-looking modifications done on a Glock 43 uh, by Primary Machine. Yeah, check that out. Yeah. If you're on the Facebook feed, folks, he's holding it up. Good stuff. We'll talk some more about that. Uh, but Matthew seems to be very pleased. And uh, speaking of which, today's episode is brought to you uh, I guess I, I should say an honorary sponsor would be primary machine because Bruce has made his time <laughs> available to us so head on over to primarymachine.com to check out all the cool stuff they got going on today's episode also is brought to you by a new a cool little thing I, I, I think it's pretty slick I, I headed on over to the website and checked it checked this out and it was kind of fun and that is the self-defense quiz what's that you very wonder? difficult very difficult (laughs) it is pretty challenging yeah Yeah, uh, i did not get a perfect score and i expected to kind of somewhat so (laughs) head on over to selfdefensequiz.com to see how you score and how you stack up uh with uh yeah the rest of us i guess uh what did you score matthew uh, I, I can't release those numbers. Oh. They're, they're confident. No. I think you got I like a two I, or a three. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. putting you on the spot, huh? No, I think it was either seven or eight. I can't remember. I, we got we got the same score, so whatever you got. I Admittedly, think I got an eight. That is true. Okay, then it was... And, and, I think it was and there, there was one question where I was like, oh, I, I, I could see this going either way, you know? And it's one of those things like, I think I kind of got in that, like, that... that mental loop of like well if i answer this way but no you know and like you just like overthink it and that's the problem like don't don't overthink some of the questions right right uh, so yeah uh selfdefensequiz.com test your knowledge see how you perform uh it's just 10 questions about basic self-defense law and it was put together uh in conjunction with our buddy uh, andrew brinka over at law of self-defense dot com and uh and then our our team here concealedcarry.com so uh it's just it's fun but it's also i think good as a measure to see kind of where you're at with things and maybe see where you need to improve your self-defense legal knowledge today's episode is also brought to you by we've got this triple guardian three-day defensive handgun course coming up in denver here in actually just a few weeks uh head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash may 2018 guardian 
all one word together there uh, after the slash. So concealedcarry.com, M-A-Y-2-0-1-8-G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N. May 2018 Guardian. All right, concealedcarry.com forward slash May 2018 Guardian. Still have a few slots available in that class. So we'd love to see you come and join us in that Triple Guardian course. Uh, We also are giving two spots away to any educators out there within the sound of my voice. And if you know somebody that's an educator that would benefit from this uh, course, send them, send them our way. Have, a, have them send us an email to podcast at concealedcarry.com. That'll come directly to me personally, and Matthew will get that as well. And we will make sure that, because uh, I, I don't think we've given those two spots away yet. So send us an email, and if you're an educator, whether a school administrator whether a teacher, a staff member, uh, I don't care if you're a janitor in a school. And it could be elementary, middle school, high school, secondary. It could be college, whatever. If you are an educator of any kind, send us a, an email, podcast at concealedcarry.com. We'll get you in that class. All right, that's a $500 value per person. Um, National Train of Teacher Day, nationaltrainofteacherday.com. Give them your support. Go check out the website. And if you're not able to come and... and uh, be a part of our course that we're offering on May 17th through the 19th, then you can, chances are, find something that's near you. That uh, There are many instructors nationwide participating in National Train-A-Teacher Day, and that is uh, put on by my good buddy Clint Macro over at TriggerPressersUnion.com. So anyway, lots of, uh, I guess, sponsor messages of sorts or information at least to get out there. So thanks for uh, bearing with me, guys. But uh, like I said, oh, and I did have a couple of notes here about the self-defense quiz. Thanks, Matthew, for dropping this in there. Uh, we, we do ask that you only take it once, preferably. Okay, You'll be tempted to try to go back and do it again. But but we do want to have somewhat fairly accurate uh, results. It's kind of also a survey of sorts. So uh, we'll be reporting on the overall rese- results of hundreds or thousands of entries that we'll be receiving on the self-defense quiz. So just take it once, please. And, uh, yeah, so... Um, you'll be eligible for a really good uh, uh, deal. After you take that survey, there's a special offer at the end. So take advantage of that as well. Alrighty, guys. Once again, Bruce Gagno from Primary Machine. Thanks for being uh, a special guest on our episode today. Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and Primary Machine and um, what you guys do. Um, Man, it's really... I guess not a whole lot special about myself, man. I'm just an ordinary guy like anybody else who kind of, I guess, more or less fell into what we do. Um, but, you know, before I did this, I was just another employee at another oil field related uh, place of employment, like most people down here in South Louisiana. And um, <clears throat> my brother-in-law who runs the shop, who runs primary machine and owns it, he had done, you know, oil field related work as well. And when that whole industry kind of started to take a, you know, a downturn a couple of years ago, I had been laid off from, from my job and, um, you know, getting into firearm related work and slide work was something that me and him had kind of went back and forth about. And, um, it just kind of seemed like something that made sense at the time. And we jumped into it, man, you know, his, uh, his machine experience kind of met my whole firearm experience and it was just a perfect match, man. Everything just kind of took off from there, I guess. Nice. 
Um, you guys, I, I've seen you all over the place. I've come across your work in a number of places. Um, I'm absolutely certain that a couple of Facebook groups that I follow online, particularly that are Glock focused, that I've seen your work in there. Uh, people like your work. Uh, so, I mean, what, what are some of the things you do specifically? You do some slide cuts, you do some RMR or optic cuts, uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. We do, uh, anything as far as pertaining to slide work. We don't do any framework. So we do slide, we do slide work. We do optic cuts. Uh, we do the refinishing. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it. As far as the, the gun modifications, we, for a little while, we kind of dabbled in some framework, but it just got to be one of those things that's just so time consuming. It just, it wasn't feasible for us to offer it anymore. We didn't, we didn't have anyone at the time that could just sit around all day and play with a single frame for four or five hours. So <laughs> mm. it just got to be way too tedious for it to offer, you know, offer it anymore. Totally. No, I could see that. Absolutely. Do you guys, do you have any partnerships that you work with, you know, other companies that might do some of that framework type stuff that you can kind of refer things to or, or yeah, man, every now and again, we'll get asked, you know, for recommendations for uh, framework. And there's actually a guy who's pretty local to us. He's uh, he hasn't been doing it for a long time, but uh, his company's called Valhalla defense. And uh, he, he does, some, he does some really good work for some really reasonable prices. And, you know, since he's fairly new, his, his lead times are much more reasonable than a lot of the guys who either you have to be put on a waiting list for 10, 12 weeks, or you just go without your gun for 10, 12 weeks. So his, his, you can send yourself to him and get it back in a matter of a couple of weeks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so true. I mean, honestly, from what I've seen in the industry, if you are good at all at doing any custom work to guns, like chances are you're busy. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, that's the thing. Everyone complains about lead times, but I mean, the lead times are what they are because the people are typically good at what they do. You know, you don't get a 10 week lead time because your work sucks and no one wants to have it done. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is it not just as simple as adding more, more employees and stuff or what? Come on, man. I mean, yeah, I guess in theory it is, man, but you know, employees don't cost what CNC machines cost. So that's where the, that's where it really comes in. I mean, yeah. you got to do a, you got to do a lot of side work before you you repay a seventy thousand dollar machine, you know. Yep. So it you, you gotta you gotta be you gotta walk the edge of how much you want to grow things and keep your lead time down, and so it's it's definitely a little bit of math, I guess, behind uh, keeping everything equal there. Yeah, <laughs> and you guys have three CNC machines, right? Uh, we have four. We have four. three mills, and we have a we have a lathe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's that's more than a lot of a lot of companies, right? Or yeah, I mean most. I mean, like agency, those guys have they have a a lot of machines. I think last time they I saw one of their videos, they had like nine machines. But as far as the average size shop who does what we do, they typically have one to two machines, and many of them don't even have CNCs. A lot of guys are still doing slide work on manuals, which is it's all good and fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but you're just always going to have limitations as to what you can offer your customer on a manual machine compared to a CNC. Absolutely. It's, you know, so I've just in the last year or so started to really kind of get introduced to this. Uh, in full disclosure, I am a sponsored shooter by Culper Precision. They're, they're a small shop out of Utah that does a lot of custom work. And, you know, for the first, I don't know, I don't know how long they were doing a lot of things manually. Right mm-hmm. on a, on a, on a, just a basic mill, you know, doing various cuts and whatnot. Uh, I think they just got their CNC machine last year sometime, and it was a huge investment for them and a big step up. And it allowed them to do 
tons more stuff and to do it more efficiently. Uh, but yeah, like I, I totally understand like this fine line of like, you're trying to build a business, you're trying to grow a business, you're trying to make smart financial decisions and then you got to outlay an immense amount of capital to, uh, to be able to actually scale that business up as you add more machines. Right. And it's, it's really scary right now, man, because I mean, the last couple of years we've grown, like it's been unbelievable, but at the same time, the, the industry just kind of seems like it's in a place where you just never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, just things in the industry lately have been so up and down overall, not necessarily for us, but it's just always something that's in the back of your mind. You know, you add, you know, you add a couple more products to your product line. It's, it's hard to weigh the option of, okay, do we want to go into this knowing that we may have times when this particular product's out of stock because we can't keep up with making it? Or do we want to invest in another machine and then the market takes a downturn? And so it's difficult, man. It's definitely hard to gauge, you know, how much overhead do you want to have? How many more machines do you want to cut checks for? And so it's, yeah. it's definitely tough, tough to balance out. And it's a competitive industry, right? Like what you guys are doing, it's competitive. You gotta, you gotta balance, you gotta find the right price point and everything. I mean, it's, it's not like you guys are the only ones there and you can make up your, you know, your prices, uh, how you want it. You, You gotta be competitive. Absolutely, man. At the end of the day, we're definitely not the only people doing what we do. Um, one of the hardest, one of the hardest things that, you know, we kind of go back and forth with is to kind of, kind of get the point across that in the, let me back up a little. There's so many people in the industry, in this particular industry that we do as far as the custom work that just from the outside, they have a mindset that if this company is cheaper than this company, well, their product can't possibly be as good. And it's just not really the case with us. You know, one of the kind of disheartening things that we tend to see a lot in our reviews is like, oh yeah, you know, I went with primary machine because they were the cheapest. But if you compare a lot of our work to a lot of our competitors, you'll see that the work quality doesn't necessarily re- reflect the fact that we were cheaper than someone else. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's hard to, hard to constantly provide a, a product that's as high, if not higher than, you know, your competitors and still maintain a price point where the average person can afford it. I mean, not many guys can afford to, you know, buy a gun. Okay. Guns 500 bucks, send it to someone pay $2,500 to get it stippled and have the slide milled. You know, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for, 90% of the, you know, the average working American. So we're trying to, we're trying to offer the same quality at a price point that, you know, is reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on your website right now and, uh, just kind of looking through, uh, some of your offerings and, and dude, I'm super impressed, right. You know, because, um, let me give you an example and I'm trying to share my screen, but there's some weird little glitch that's preventing me from doing that, but Hey, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the tech side of things here today. Also um, new updates, man. So yeah, I know. Right. Uh, but like a basic serration package. So adding front serrations to your Glock slide, right? Cause Glocks, well, generally don't come with serrations on the front. Right. And I love having front serrations. Uh, I do quite a bit of manipulation, uh, even whether it's a press check, whether it's, uh, even some malfunction type stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm real big on, I've got a little P320 here. Okay. I'm real big on trying not to disrupt my, my grip that much when I'm manipulating the gun. And it's far easier and faster for me to just roll my hand over and hit those front slide serrations and come right back and a lot less disruption to, you know, my shooting capability by, by doing that. So I love having front slide serrations on, on my Glocks. I've gotten just really good at, you know, using 
uh, pressure, Nothing. you know, just, just muscle, yeah. just to, you know, I, I grip it tight and I'm able to rack it, but it's so helpful to have uh, some serrations on the front. So that's a hundred bucks on your website. That's yeah. super reasonable because you're, you're making some serration cuts mm-hmm. and then you're refinishing that slide, right? Correct. Yeah. That is, that's crazy, dude. That's, that's great price. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, one of the ways that we're able to keep the cost down, man, um, is a lot of it's just done in batches, you know? So we, you know, we're, we won't, we won't go from say milling a slide for a UCC V3 cut. And then the next slide that goes in the machine is someone who wants front serrations. And then the next slide that goes in is a totally different cut. So what we tend to do is we'll batch them up. Okay. I've got 15 Glock 19s that just want front serrations. So we can run all those back to back, you know, we right. can handy burr them, make them look nice, get them off the blasting and then have them, you know, seracoded. And, um, so when you start running things in batches and you keep in mind the fact that we do all of our refinishing in house, it's, you can keep the cost on a lot of things like that down. I mean, you don't need to charge 150, $200 for serrations and Cerakote like a lot of other shops are. Yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because by batching everything, and I used to work in the construction industry. So like that's, I mean, two complete different industries, but you know, when you talk about work efficiency, it's the same, you know, across the board, I think in a lot of respects in that there would be projects where we'd have, you know, maybe we're building an apartment building or something, right? And we've got 50 walls, interior walls that are all exactly the same wall, right? Build them all at the same time. All your cuts are exactly the same. And you just basically, you're, you're basically making a, an, a, an assembly line out of it, right? You know, you just boom, 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 boom. And you move from one to the next to the next. So with you guys, you got you know, you can set up one machine, you set up the, set it up the one time, the programming is input, you know, one time, uh, and then you're just changing out slide, changing out slide, you know, over and over and over and batching that all up. Right. Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, not only does it make you much more efficient, but it, it also maintains a much higher control, you know, quality control. I mean, if, if I'm not bouncing from, from one slide to another, one cut to another, I know exactly what I need to be looking for as, you know, as far as any possible imperfections, you know, yeah. instead of looking over an entire piece of a slide, I can just look at serrations and say, okay, this end mill looks like it's starting to go bad. I'll pull that end mill out, put a new one in. So there's different things that we do. Totally. To quality up, you know, totally. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff, man. And finally, it's allowing me to share my screen. So, uh, so you can just see just from Glock slide milling, uh, you guys got uh, this backslash cut that you, that you do, uh, optic milling. You got this extreme cut. That's pretty cool looking. Uh, chamfer package. That's where you like take the, you know, on a Glock slide, the, the, the corners of the slide on the top are rounded. So you're going to take that and cut it off at a 45, right? Yeah. Uh, serrations, all, all sorts of cool stuff. And the, like I said, the prices are very reasonable. Um, I've looked at a number of different uh, companies that, that, that do similar things and uh, you guys are just killing it. So, you know, good quality yeah, work man. at a reasonable price, like you said. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> I guess being in the industry and looking at some of the prices that some, some of our competitors charge, it's, it's really hard to wrap your mind around how, how you could charge someone the kind of prices that they charge. But, um, I mean, I guess they are and they're successful. So I mean, more power to them, but, um, it's, yeah, some, some, some of it gets to be pretty, pretty unreasonable for what you're getting for sure. Cool, man. Yeah. I I had a question about, um, the first time I saw any slide work from you guys, um, I saw my buddy had, um, a 19 with a backlash cut and I thought, 
man, that's pretty cool. It's pretty extreme. You know, the barrels exposed, you know, the end of the barrel, it was, it looked really cool. Um, how do you guys come up with, you know, your designs for your cuts? I, I know there a lot goes into it because you can't, um, just start chopping, you know, material away, take too much off a certain area, but how do you guys come up with that? Are you guys, do you have a design background or who, how do you guys formulate all that stuff? Uh, usually when we're coming up with a new slide cut, um, the first thing we start with is just a 3d model of a, just an OEM slide, you know, nothing done to it, just totally stock. And, um, we'll typically kind of have a direction of, you know, what we want to do in a general layout of what we want it to look at. And, um, you know, you just kind of start laying stuff in there and, you know, Ryan does all the drawing. He's got a background in solid works and all, and he's a freaking magician when it comes to all the solid modeling. So it, it, it the designing goes generally quick, but, um, you know, once you're looking at it in a 3d model, you, you get a, you get a quick sense of what, what kind of direction you want it to go in. Cause a lot of times we'll start with just like a rough sketch. Like if I'm running, I'm running slides on a machine and I'll just kind of get bored. I'll start sketching out a general design or, you know, something that I might, might want to do in the future. And, uh, once you kind of get it in a 3d model, you start to see that, you know, your design actually looks like crap when you can see it in 3d and turn it, or it actually looks good. Let's keep going in that direction. So yeah, man, we just start with a blank 3d canvas and go from there. The yeah. result is what you see on our website. Yeah. Hey, Matthew, cool. you've got your 43 that primary machine did for you, right? Yeah, I do. Hold that sucker uh, up, man. Yeah. Let me take the slide off here um and do your right best here. to describe for the audio only listeners what, what we're looking at <laughs> you want me to or you want bruce to uh to tell bruce, actually bruce would probably be yeah. better to uh to tell that i'm gonna have to switch over to gallery view though so we can see you holding that up as he describes it for us yeah so matt's got a 43 with our ucc v3 cut so if you're imagining a bone stock 43 um Basically, the first operation that we would start with is the top of the slide. So we would add the, the top and rear chamfers, the 45-degree chamfers. We would add a rear pocket behind the breech face. And in front, we would just add a shallow pocket with a window. Uh, from there, we'd flip it to side two, where you'd get a shallow milling pocket, front serrations, and a window. And then side three, you basically get the exact same thing, except it just matches the contour of the slide. Yeah. That's cool looking, man. I mean, what kind of barrel do we have there? Is that the original barrel that has been refinished? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a black nitride finish? Or tight? Yeah, titanium nitride. Yeah, titan titanium nitride. Yeah, and of it's course, really dirty. Black, you can see how dirty it is. You see how dirty it is? But it, it cleans up so easily with that coating. Yeah. I mean, you, you can see how much I've been shooting it quite a bit. But um, it just wipes, I mean literally yeah just wipes right off it's a very slick coating mm -hmm. yeah it's awesome man it's a great looking gun i like the the gold and black you know theme going there so so here's the thing right so we, we, we've we've cut this has been like an infomercial for primary machine for the first part of the episode <laughs> and that's not necessarily what this is intended to be i mean obviously we're going to give you opportunity to to sell your wares man but um but Let's let's switch now, kind of the conversation. So, I mean, really, so you did some really nice work for Matthew there, and and that's kind of how we, we got, I guess, introduced to to even having you here on today. Let's just ask the question: like, why are some people, actually, many people, why are people doing these kinds of modifications to their guns? I think it's several reasons, man. You know, uh, how many people do you know own just one Glock? 
I don't know of very many. I mean, how, how many just bone stock blocky plain black Glocks do you want to own? You know, I mean, you, you get to a point where you, you want to do something different, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's not much different than an AR 15. I mean, how many people own a basic AR 15 with plain old plastic hand guards, a, you know, plain old buttstock. It's just, it's not the nature of, of being an American, I guess, if it's mm-hmm. not custom and it's not, you know, it's, it's like anything else, man. It's just like your truck. I mean, you don't, you know, not many people buy a vehicle and don't put new wheels on it or tint the windows or whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, but there are, there are, I guess, performance reasons to doing it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Vast majority of people are doing it because it looks cool. I mean, they, there's, there's no two ways around it. They, they don't care if it does or doesn't add a performance, you know, feature or what it just, it looks really cool. It's different than stock. So they have it done. Um, but if you're the type of person who shoots competitions, maybe you hand load your ammunition, you, you know, mess around with recall spring tuning. There's definitely performance advantages to having a light and slide. And, um, I mean, there's also just real world advantages. Like you said, adding front serrations is, I mean, it's, there's plenty of good reasons to, to add front serrations. You know, you want to be able to manipulate the slide as many ways as possible. Rear serrations only give you so many options for doing that. So there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different reasons that someone would want to do it, you know? Hmm, yeah. And, and I'd like to talk, touch a little bit more on some of those practical reasons. Why, what are some of the practical applications for slide cuts? Like you, you cut out these windows, for instance. So basically what you're doing is you're lightening the slide, you're removing material, you're making the slide lighter. Are there benefits to that? Absolutely, man. I mean, if you lighten the slide, you're going to get a faster tracking slide and a slide that gives you the ability to make faster follow-up shots. If you're the type of person who hand loads ammunition, messes with recall spring tuning. Um, the average person is probably not going to see any real world benefits to that. But if you're a shooter who shoots 10, 15,000 rounds a year, you're very in tune with your gun, you hand load ammunition. You're the type of person who could probably feel the advantages to that. As far as the average person, you probably wouldn't feel much of a performance advantage. But like I said, I mean, the majority of people are doing it because they like the way it looks. So they're performance reasons aside they have they don't mm-hmm. it's not really of much interest to them you know yeah yeah now you're definitely right with that by the way i mean a few years ago you could have handed me a, a gun that was tuned and you know had all these fancy cuts and you know stuff right like i, I i'd probably shoot it and be like oh that's cool whatever man you know but like i totally feel differences between guns now because i'm i'm you know i've shot a lot more since three, four, five years ago, um, I've become a lot more picky about what I shoot and how I shoot. Uh, you definitely start to pick up on those those minute differences that for a skilled shooter actually do make a, a difference. Um, for me, a big one now is tracking, you know, my sight picture, my sights throughout the shooting uh, cycle of things, okay? And guns that cycle quickly and get back on target quickly you can then begin seeing that sight a lot faster, right? Right. And that a lot of the makes a big difference. Right. And a lot of these changes, you know, when I talk about faster follow-up shots, I mean, these are changes that you're going to see in tenths of a second on a shot timer. I don't mean you're going to go to the range and shoot the gun bone stock and then go to the range and, holy crap, I can shoot this gun ten times faster than <laughs> I used to be able to because it's lightened. I'm talking about in terms of someone who's already at the pinnacle of, you know, their performance of shooting, they can't possibly, you know, if there is such a thing, they can't get any better of a shooter. 
So then you start to look at your gear. Okay, how is this holding me back? And then, you know, these are changes you're going to see on a shot timer, not like you go to the range one day, three weeks later, you get your new slide back and you're, oh, you know, I'm, I'm an incredible, I'm an A-class shooter. I'm a master shooter now because I got these slide cuts done. So it's not, we're not talking about extremely dramatic changes. You know, like you said yourself, it's just, if you're a seasoned shooter, you shoot more than 50 rounds a month or what have you, you're going to be able to feel these changes if, you know, you shot that gun enough to know what it feels like. Yep. So, so I'm going to be devil's advocate or I'm going to be the, 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 uh, throw you the sniper question. Um, now taking slide material out of your slide. Okay. Um, is there a possibility that it's going to weaken the slide, cause it to crack or are there downsides of doing that? I mean, there's definitely always that possibility, man. I mean, people crack stock slides. So, I mean, that kind of speaks for itself. If you, if you shoot a stock slide enough, you can crack it. So if you've got a slide that's got material removed, absolutely. You're, I guess you're increasing the possibility of that happening. Um, but if you're smart about the areas you're removing material from, then there's ways that you can increase the, the life and the longevity of that slide, even if you're removing material. So like, if you'll notice on our slides, we don't, we don't remove a lot of material from the frame rails, you know, where are the slide rails, I should say where it slides on the frame. Um, a lot of guys ask for rear serration enhancement, you know, can you mill them deeper? Well, we don't offer that because there's already not much material left there. So we're not going to mill the rear serrations any, any deeper and make them even weaker. Um, so you just got to be smart about what areas of the slide are already, you know, under stress and how much material was already left in certain points of the slide before you can start removing even more. So if you're smart about it, I would say in the real world, you're probably not really doing any damage to the slide. So, so what you're saying is make sure you get a, a get your slide cut from somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the, and the average person can kind of look at some of these slides and, and kind of think to themselves like, boy, that's probably not going to last very long before that slide's ruined, you know? So, I mean, as long, you know, as long as you use your mind and kind of take a look at these things before you buy them, you kind of get a general idea of what you can and can't get away with. Have you guys ever pressed, like, uh, pushed the envelope a little too far and been like, Hey, we, we can't do this cut or we got to dial it back in this area or whatnot. Yeah. So like not long after we started, um, I'm not going to say who, but, um, a guy approached us, he wanted to give us a Glock 34 slide. Um, he wanted us, you know, basically do the slide work for free and on his end, he would advertise it for us. So that was all good and fine. Um, so we ended up cutting it for kind of what is now our extreme cut. Uh, but the way that cut used to be done on a Glock 34 is it has two through windows and the third window now is a solid shallow window, but it used to be a, a three through windows. And um, what ended up happening, I'm not sure how much he shot it. I think he got 1500 or 2000 rounds through it. And it actually developed a crack right around where the barrel locks up and kind of wrapped around where the window was on the side, just over time from the barrel lock up, beating it, beating it. And there just wasn't much material left there at all. So that's the furthest we've ever pushed one and found out that it didn't work. Um, and that was on a prototype slide. So we've changed it since then. And to my knowledge, we've never had another one that's had any issues. And if we have, nice. I've never heard about it. That's cool. You got to push, you got to push the, uh, the envelope sometimes, right? See what you can get away with. So what you can yeah, do. Yeah, exactly, man. And that, and we told them kind of going into it, like we've, we've never cut this before. Like we had a model drawn up of it. It was already done. We just hadn't introduced it to anyone or shown anybody yet. So he had the first one and, uh, yeah, we all found out real quick that that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Now the standard uh, packages or whatever that you, you know, these, these different cuts and things that you advertise on your site, these are all things you do regularly, right? And you, you've probably done hundreds or thousands of, and, and many, many, many more thousands of rounds being fired through guns with these various cuts and modifications with, without any issues, right? Yeah. I mean, between how many slides we've done, I mean, I would say there's probably easily in the millions of rounds through our slides through various customers. So, I mean, outside of general wear from Cerakote in and out of holsters and stuff like that, I've not known of a single catastrophic failure of a slide that we've done yeah. outside of the one that we just talked about. Yeah. Let's talk about another practical modification. Um, you know, so we've, we've, we've hit on the slide cuts and slide lightning pretty, pretty well. And, and I do see that there can be some benefits there. Right. And so, um, Probably not for the average shooter, but also if you just want things to look cool, like you guys got some cool looking stuff. So like knock yourself out. Um, I have no problem with making guns look cool as long as the gun still functions well. Right. So, uh, and, and which can certainly be done. Maybe you might do a little bit of tweaking on, on some recoil spring weights or something, uh, whatever, like figure it out, make it reliable for you, make it work. It, it could definitely be done. Um, the other practical thing that I see definitely where it comes to sending a gun to you guys or to some other shop or whatever and having some work done would be on optic cuts or optic milling. So can you touch on that a little bit? And I mean, is this some, is this pretty common that you're seeing this come in? You're seeing guns and slides come in uh, pretty regularly now for uh, optic milling? Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, as I'm sure you know, the idea of a, a red dot on a pistol is definitely nothing new. I mean, competition guys have been doing it for years and years, but over the last couple years, it's gotten to be very, very mainstream. I mean, five years ago, the average person was totally against putting a red dot on their pistol because they just didn't know anything about it. Now, fast forward, we're at the point where I mean, companies are even offering their guns already milled for optics. It's gotten to be so popular. <laughs> I'm going to grab one right now. Yeah. And, and the optics are a lot better, you know, it's suited for a pistol, you know, a defensive pistol or everyday carry rather than, you know, something huge that somebody would put on a, a competition gun or something like that. I mean, the technology is just exploding. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely... It, I mean, now's a more feasible time than there's ever probably been to put a red dot on a pistol. I mean, five or six years ago, I could have, I could see where people would come from with not wanting to put the, put it on their pistol, you know, because I guess the longevity and, you know, just the life expectancy of the average dot six or seven years ago wasn't what it is now with the current dots we have. So For I sure. can see some, see some resistance to it back then. <laughs> For sure. I've got here my uh, P320X5, uh, which... Uh, it did not come with, I did not buy this with the uh, Romeo one red dot that's on top of it uh, that you see right now uh, that, that I purchased separately and added on later. Um, and actually in three gun, I, I shoot this just with iron sights. Um, but I've been kind of toying around with shooting maybe carry optics and USPSA. So I've been doing some practice with this guy in this setup right here. It's freaking insane, man. So <laughs> a couple of things, by the way, with this SIG. You guys see it's got some light slide lightning cuts in the top of the slide. It's got three windows there. Um, and that's basically what that's all about. Is, I mean, this is, a, this is a big gun. It's got a big slide, long slide. Uh, taking taking those that material out lightens it substantially, and we can increase the cycle uh, speed of this, of this slide. Uh, empty mag. It's clear. All right. 
for you Nazis out there. Um, this thing freaking shoots amazing. I love this gun. Uh, and I know guys with Glock 34s and, and CZs and different guns that, you know, are, are very customized and have, it, have had a lot of work done to them. And they throw these red dots on top. And here's the thing, right? Now, jump in anytime you want, Bruce. But what I noticed with shooting a red dot, it's not like I have a ton of experience doing it. But, I mean, at least on a pistol, I've shot, obviously, a lot of red dot optics on my ARs and whatnot. But on a pistol, there is a learning curve, to it right uh now i would say that for me personally it's something that i i picked up very naturally and didn't take a lot of effort for me just to to be able to figure that out and by learning curve it's a couple of things right number one picking up that dot in that little tiny window on a pistol where you know think about this right guys on on ar on a carbine you've got a you got your cheek weld on the stock somewhere you've got two other separate points of contact your your pistol grip and your arm out out front you know holding the stock or the handguard okay so you got at least three points of contact oh and then your shoulder right so you got four points of contact that carbon can come up index the same way every time where your eye is right in line with the red dot optic every time so you should never have any problems finding the dot is it's it's not that simple on a pistol <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, it definitely takes some getting used to, man. I mean, um, one way, I guess, to kind of get around that a little and to make picking up that dot a little bit easier is having a co-witness set up. So, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're if kind of used to picking up that gun and knowing that you're going to have a good sight picture, well, if you've got a good sight picture as far as your iron sights, your dot's going to definitely be in the, you know, your field of view on the glass every time you pick the gun up. Um, but aside from that, it just comes from muscle memory, just like anything else. You know, the first time you've ever shot a pistol, you didn't pick it up and have a perfect sight picture with your iron sights, but now you probably do. So it's just all repetition, yep. you know, you get used to it over time, but I've, I've definitely never talked to or met anyone who shot faster with iron sights than with a red dot after they were willing to get over the learning curve and learn to really use the red dot. That's without a doubt. I mean, you, you'll never shoot faster or more accurate if you're willing to put in the time to learn it. I agree with that. A uh, year or two ago, I mean, I've picked up some red dot optic pistols a few times over the years. Probably about a year, year, it was a year and a half ago at least now, now that I think about it. Uh, I was shooting a bowling pin competition, which was fun as heck. And I was shooting a bone stock Springfield XDM uh, comp gun, okay? Five, five and a quarter inch barrel. No, no modifications to it whatsoever. And to be honest with you, for a long time, I, sh I tried to keep guns as stock as possible because, it, I'll be honest, in the back of my mind, I was kind of thinking, you know, if I learn how to shoot really good with a basic stock pistol, then when I do finally get around to maybe doing some little tweaks and modifications and things, I'll probably just be that much better, right? And it's not like, like you said earlier, it's not like you get magically 10 times better, 10 times faster, but, but, but does it make a difference? Absolutely. I spent a long time, I carried as a duty pistol, a DASA gun, a SIG for a couple of years and, you know, ma try, learning to master that long, stiff, double action trigger press. Right. And then that, that makes a difference over time. Okay. So Anyway, I'm, I'm shooting this competition, this bowling pin competition, and this guy hands me his tricked-out Glock. I mean, like, seriously mad tricked-out. I mean, every possible thing you could do to this Glock, it had been done. And he had a Trijicon arm on top of it. 
And I had base I had just finished second place to him. And I'm shooting this bone stock gun, right? He's like, let's have a rematch and let's put you with the uh, tricked out gun. I'm like, okay. So I picked that sucker up first time, no practice, anything. And the buzzer goes and I come up and I, I just found that dot right away and just put the dot on the on the bowling pins and bam, 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 all five down like, Phew. and I was like, that's just not fair, dude. <laughs> and I smoked him. I smoked him with that, with his, with his gun. He had my stock XDM and he was, you know, struggling a little bit and I just bam, 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 bam. And I, I was down. I'm uh, okay. All right. That's, that's not fair. How much does your gun cost, dude? He's like, Oh, I've got like 3,200 into that clock. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane, bro. <laughs> yeah, anyway. that's. I mean, that's the thing, man. With the red dot, if your if your trigger fundamentals are there, you don't have an excuse to miss. You know, with iron sights, like, uh, you know, maybe I had the front sight a little too high. Maybe I didn't have the windage perfectly right. If if the dot is on the target at the time the trigger breaks, you're going to hit it. There's no there's no excuse. If you yeah. miss. If you miss, your trigger control sucks or you just didn't have the dot on the target. There's no other two ways. that you, There's nothing else you can blame. So yep. once, once you get everything get everything in line, they're, they're definitely super, super fun to shoot with. And I mean, even a lot, of, a lot of law enforcement are even starting to open up to their officers being allowed to carry certain optics. I yep. mean, that's pretty game-changing, man. I mean, five years ago, I'm there, you probably couldn't have found, found a, a law enforcement you know, officer in America who had a red dot on their gun. And it's yeah. a thing now. <laughs> yeah. I agree. You, you with know that. what else, you know what else about optics, uh, red dot optics on your, on your handgun. I found that it, it really facilitates shooting with both eyes open or it forces you to definitely shoot with two eyes open where some people kind of like not cheat the game, but like, you know, they're, they're used to shooting with one eye. Right. And then you're telling them, Hey, shoot with both eyes open. If you put a red dot on their gun, it's almost forces them to start, learning how to shoot with both eyes open. So in a way, I think it's, it's a good tool to help learn that skill as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about this way, guys, right? Um, for, th- for those of you listening that maybe you've never experienced shooting a pistol with a red dot before, uh, or maybe you've just never shot a red dot, period. I know some guys out there that are way hardcore, you know, iron sight shooters and, and sometimes prefer that. And that's totally cool. But here's the advantage of anything that's red dot is instead of trying to align three different planes, right? Rear sight, front sight, target, it's one plane. That's the beauty of it. It's not even two planes, it's one plane. Because that red dot appears as though it's on the target. So you're focused on the target the entire time, you imp- superimpose the dot on that target, and when it's there, you pull the trigger. It, it, Like you said, Bruce, if the dot's there at the time the trigger breaks, you're hitting the target, and it really is that simple. The trick is, learning all of the the biomechanics that are necessary, the muscle memory that's got to be there so that as you're presenting that target, it's got to be done the same way consistently every time so that when you get out to your extension, that dot is going to be there. The challenge we see, you know, shooters that are struggling with the red dot is they get out there and then they're like, you know, trying to find the dot. That That's a very frustrating place to be. Um, and so co-witness sites does make a big difference. Uh, I like the way this 320 is set up because I've still got my front uh, sight and these Romeo ones have a, a very, you know, it's a subtle notch in them, but it's just enough of a notch there that you can aim with it. It's not the greatest, but you can aim with it. Give you some kind of reference. Right. And so if I lose that dot for any reason, I just need to bring that front sight 
kind of, you know, somewhere close to that rear notch. And then, you know, okay, there's the dot. Good to go. Practical applications. How many of your, I don't know whether you have a feel for this or not, Bruce, but I suspect a lot of people have uh, issues with their sight, meaning their eyesight. So is that something you see fairly commonly where you got guys, older guys, perhaps sending in guns to you to get optics uh, cut in so they can, you know, so they can shoot their, enjoy shooting their guns again because they having such a hard time focusing on those sights. Absolutely, man. Whenever we first started doing this, I never would have imagined that there were so many guys in their fifties and sixties and seventies who were, were getting this kind of work done. Um, but every day we get calls and emails from older guys and you know, exactly what you just said Their their eyesight just isn't what it used to be. And they're, they're not ready to put the gun aside yet. You know, they're, they want to keep shooting. So they've got to figure out some kind of alternative, you know, whenever you've got the, the eyesight issues, some of these guys have, you know, focusing on sites, focusing down range on your target, whatever it may be, it's just, it doesn't work for them anymore. And a red dot's that fix for them, you know? Yeah. Uh, I see myself getting to that point at some point, you know, in my life. I mean, you look at Jerry Mitchellick, for instance. Uh, he's he's a Louisiana boy too. We can't really compare him. He does. He doesn't really. His <laughs> his eyesight will probably never fail him. But. <laughs> well, you can't tell me that a dude that's in his sixties, early to mid sixties now, that his eyesight is you know perfect for shooting a gun. Like you, you don't get to that age and still have just perfect perfect eyesight maybe maybe he does i don't know but he's been shooting a red dot for years now and i suspect and, and he's and he still holds his own with everybody else with all the young guys yeah, now he does have an amazing skill but it doesn't matter how good your skill is if you can't see what you're trying to shoot at and having a red dot makes a big difference in being able to still see even when the eyesight is not as good as it once was oh yeah i agree 100 percent. i mean if if you haven't shot a pistol with a red dot yet and you're you're, you're kind of close-minded to it, I would I'd try to go to a range who maybe has one you can rent, you know, and just try it. Try it a couple times, you know. If you go to the range the first time, rent a gun with a dot, and you find out you don't like it. Don't don't dismiss it yet because you can get frustrated with it. You know, I've seen a lot of people who, you know, they're some they'll send their gun to us to be milled. We mill it, we send it back, and they're they take it out a couple times and they haven't quite adjusted to it and they're kind of sick with the decision, but. Um, you usually end up hearing back from them, you know, that they stuck with it and now they absolutely love it. You know, they'll never go back to irons after they've gotten over the learning curve. So definitely don't be close minded yeah. to it. Even if you tried it a couple of times and didn't really care for it much. What about the difference between um, attaching the optic by way of milling the slide and actually, you know, screwing it to the slide or mounting it through an, like an adapter through the uh, existing dovetail uh, rear sight. So What's the benefit drawback to that? Um, well, I'm sure I'll probably just come off as being very biased because you know, <laughs> one of those options that you're talking about. But uh, I mean, in general, you're, there's a lot of advantages to having it milled versus like a dovetail mounted red dot. Um, first of all, you've got the dot closer to the bore. So that's going to, you're not going to have these crazy changes in holdovers and hold unders that you get whenever you've got the dot sitting an inch above the bore as compared to being half inch over the bore if the slides milled. Um, so aside from that, you've got aesthetic reasons. I mean, you might have a really difficult time finding a holster that'll work with a gun with a red dot that's mounted to a dovetail versus finding a holster for a gun that's milled for one. Um, 
And then probably the most important factor and advantage over a milled slide is it's just, it's going to be much stronger. You've got, you've got material in front of the optic. You've got material behind the optic. You've got material where the bosses go in for the optic to clamp. And then you've got the actual mounting screws. Uh, a lot of these mounts, you don't really have all that. I mean, all the stress, all those G-forces going back and forth on that slide are basically on two, two bosses and then the two mounting screws. So there's, I mean, there's quite a few real world advantages to having your slide milled versus, you know, a, a dovetail mount. I mean, the only, I guess probably the only real advantage to a dovetail mount is if you're not totally sure you want to go ahead and permanently, you know, mill your slide. And you know, so once, once you remove the material, you're not putting it back. So I guess there's pros and cons to both, but there's probably considerably more pros to having it milled than a dovetail mount. Yeah, for sure. I see a big one, you know, folks that are struggling sometimes as they're learning the red dot, how to use it. And if they're struggling to find the dot, uh, I see way more problems in shooters where that red dot is high above the bore because it's not natural, right? Because they've been shooting iron sights their whole life where you're exactly right. Like maybe the the sights are a half inch above the bore and now suddenly you've got this massive thing above that. And, you you know, so as you're extending and as you're going to that natural point of aim or whatever it is, it's, it's, you, you got to make a little bit more of an adjustment. So milling the slide, setting that down a lot lower in the gun, you know, this X5 came, you know, obviously pre-milled. It's, this, this is a complete, you know, factory SIG setup, um, but it co-witnesses pretty well. And the closer it is co-witnessing, the easier it'll be for you to pick up those sights, find the dot. And it's, it's not going to feel like it's all that different in shooting. Exactly. I mean, we were just talking about the learning curve to shooting with a red dot. And I mean, with a, with a dovetail mount, you're probably just making that learning curve that much higher and that much harder to get over. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the cons um, of just modifications in general, not, you know, uh, not, not specifically optics or slide cuts or whatever it is. But sometimes a question that comes up, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, Bruce, um, where people are a little bit concerned with making modifications to a gun, particularly a carry gun, you know, one that they carry for defensive purposes, as it relates to maybe any potential legal issues. Um, is that something that you know you, you that you're familiar with at all, or that you've addressed? Um. Well, I guess I'll preface this by saying I'm obviously not a lawyer, so right. don't listen to, don't take anything I'm about to say as legal advice. But, uh, <laughs> None of us here are, so. <laughs> yeah, my, I mean, my whole thought on that is I, I can understand it being a, a valid concern, but I just think about it like this. If, if you made a justifiable shoot, there's no questions about it. You had to, to shoot this person, take their life, whatever it may be. It doesn't matter what was done to the gun your your defense lawyer is going to make it extremely clear that the modifications had nothing to do with the fact that this guy was about to kill you and you were forced to shoot them um i mean i have seen people bring up cases where it it, you know gun modifications were in fact used against you know people in court but um in all the cases that i have personally seen you know the people's defense lawyer was pretty pretty easily able to you know turn that crap away. I mean, it's just, it's nonsense. But, um, I mean, I guess if you're, if you come from the standpoint where, you know, well, if I'm, if I'm in court for this, you know, I don't want, I don't want the prosecutor to have any extra, you know, ammo to use against me, so to speak. Um, 
then I could see it as a concern, but it's it's not something that I would let dictate what I'm what I will or will not carry. I mean, if I if I feel like I shoot this gun better with a three pound trigger versus the eight pound trigger that it came with, I'm that's what I'm gonna carry. I'm not gonna let that dictate what I'm gonna defend my me and my family's life with, you know. So I guess that's really more of just an end user type thing, man. Uh, you know, do some research for yourself and decide if that's something that you're comfortable with or not. And it's not like you guys are laser engraving, like, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out on your slide or something like that. That (laughs) could be prejudicial, but, uh, could cause some prejudice, you know, to be, uh, to be seen by, by a jury or something. It's most of it's aesthetic type stuff. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we don't do any trigger work, which is, I mean, trigger works probably aside from aesthetic things, like you were saying, like laser engraving or, you know, Glock back plates with Punisher skull, stuff like that. Um, trigger works probably the number one thing that I could see a prosecutor really trying to use against you. You know, oh, well, uh, I guess the, the, you know, the factory trigger wasn't adequate enough for you to end Mr. Such and such life. So I don't know. I, some of these prosecutors are crazy and, you know, they'll definitely try absolutely anything they can to, to have you found guilty. So I wouldn't put anything past them. But at the same time, it wouldn't dictate what I carry personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all fair points, uh, everything that you've brought up and shared, and, and I generally agree, right? Uh, because a justified shoot is a justified shoot, I think, regardless of what the tool is. Where it might be a little bit iffy for an individual is if some of the circumstances of that shoot are already maybe a little bit kind of iffy, <laughs> you know? I mean, iffy from like whether it's public perception or whether it's just you got a little bit of a kind of liberal prosecutor um, you know, it, 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 I, I do see that as coming into play probably potentially a little bit more. Um, if it's pretty black and white, then I, I wouldn't think you'd have much of an issue because it probably wouldn't even get to court in, in the first place. But um, about triggers, just my personal opinion on this, uh, and just because I've experienced it somewhat and seen it, uh, I think there is something about having a really light trigger in a carry gun uh, in that you do need to be careful and you've got to have really awesome trigger control. Uh, And I mean, well, not just control, but even discipline as far as when that finger goes on the trigger and the type of pressure that you might be applying or not applying to that trigger when you do. The reason I say that is because when you're hyped up on adrenaline, you can be surprised by a shot sometimes. I've been oh, there. Absolutely. I've done it. If you compete enough, it's happened to me where you're hyped up. You just, I'll tell you, I, I was shooting a stage where you shot in one berm and you had to run around. You had to run back all the way to the end of the berm around the side berm and then back down this other berm and get to another shooting position where you engage some more targets. And I come out of the holster and I barely got up. I mean, like it wasn't enough that I was, you know, that I run the risk of uh, being disqualified because I, you know, made an unintentional shot, you know, in an unsafe direction or anything like, but like I barely got on that target and I missed the first shot. I just missed it. But really what happened is I, I was just hyped up. The blood was really pumping. I got out and I got, I started prepping that trigger and boom, and it went off before I was ready. Right. And so I know that's not a defensive situation, but I don't see it as being all that different. Like you are, I think a defensive situation could be even worse where you are really, really hyped up and things are going south quickly. And, you know, so like, I guess all I'm saying is with triggers, 
be careful, like, and understand that trigger and know how it works and what you got to do to be very disciplined with it. And Matthew, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, but Bruce, you got to follow up. Oh, no, man. All I was going to add to that was uh, you're absolutely correct. I mean, even if you take the legality standpoint of a lighter trigger out of the equation, you know, every self-defense scenario may not be just you and a bad guy. I mean, there may be other innocent people that are, I mean, we live in a 3D world, you know, I know that's, that's kind of a saying that you hear every time you take a pistol class, you know, the instructor says, we, you know, we live in a 3D world, and, and, but it's true. You know, not every situation is going to be, it's just you and one other guy and he's straight across from you. The shot's plain and simple to make. Um, and so, yeah, having, having good trigger control is definitely something that you're going to want to keep in the back of your mind for sure. Yeah. And, and one, one thing I would add is that, um, you know, and we're not talking specifically or solely about trigger control, but we are talking about modification. So I think it's appropriate to, to, to discuss it, but, um, I think any, whether it be a trigger modification, site modification, painting your, 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 seracoding your gun a different color, be able to articulate why you made those changes and how it made you either able to deploy that gun more safely or more effectively. And, and I, I, I look at it this way, two people with the same modification on a gun, one person says, well, I, I modified it because it's my the gun I shoot on competition at competitions as well. And I want to be quick uh, when I'm shooting my competitions. And this, the same person made the same, mod, or a different person made the same modification sitting in court and saying, I, I lighten the trigger because it enables me to be, to, to uh, fire more accurate follow-up shots or whatnot. And they're articulating why it makes the gun safer. I think you might have a little bit more um, understanding for the person who's telling you why these modifications are effective rather, you know, if somebody comes in there and like I said, I've seen guns with, you know, smile and wait for the flash written on it and all kinds of stuff. And it's going to be hard to explain to a jury why that makes you a better shooter. Right. And and why that doesn't make, doesn't taint their opinion of, of your character. Um, and so right or wrong, um, good or bad, that's the, that's the world we live in. So, our articulation of not only why you, you you use the force you use, but what you did to that gun, if you did anything that made it, you know, uh, uh, better for you to be able to, to shoot safely. Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there as far as the articulation, man, especially in, in a world where, you know, a, a lot of guys, their, their carry gun might be the same gun that they, they shoot carry optics division with on the weekend. You mm-hmm. know? So, you know, you're, no one goes and shoots at the range on the weekend. And then Monday they take their drop-in trigger out and put the OEM trigger back in for carry. So I, I definitely can, can agree with what you said. And, 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 you know, some of these, some of the, uh, aftermarket triggers and stuff, they, they will even say, you know, designed for comp- competitive use only or com- competition use, not for everyday carry or things like that. So, I mean, that's going to be problematic if you end up, you know, um, uh, shooting somebody just on the fact that, you know, this, this item isn't, technically designed for defensive use because the manufacturer says, yeah, it is such a light trigger or what, whatnot. So, you know, I see it all the time, you know, people carrying one gun for competitions and their everyday carry. And it's, it's not ideal if you're making modifications like that. Absolutely. I can, I can get with you on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good thoughts, gentlemen. Uh, <clears throat> I think we've covered a lot of, 
different angles as to uh, different modifications that uh, might be done to handguns in this day and age. Uh, uh, there's probably a few things we didn't really touch on, but, but as far as you know, various slide modifications, cuts, adding optics. Uh, oh, hey, I just had a thought. One downside or one con that sometimes people will talk about with optics is what if it breaks? What if it stops working? Mm-hmm. Uh, what What do you have to say about that stuff, Bruce? Um, I mean, man, I guess there's not a whole lot to say. It's a man-made electronic optic. It can break. And, uh, you know, I guess kind of a, a, a misconception out there is that I'm not going to name brands, but, you know, this brand does not break ever. And that's just that's just crap because they, they do. They, they all, I've seen them all break. Um, I'd say so, some, I'd say some probably break much less than others. Um, but they all break. They can break. Um, so have some backup iron sights, right? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yep. if, if it's just your weekend gun, you know, all I do is bring this gun to the range and shoot the red dot then whatever. Don't, you know, don't put irons on it. It is what it is. But if you're going to carry that gun every day, or if you're a law enforcement officer and that's your duty gun, you really want to pick a site and a setup that's going to have some co-witness sites. I mean, the last thing you want to do is be in a situation <laughs> where the dot goes out and you've got to try and make a 25 yard shot or whatever it may be. You or can't. it's super bright and you can't pick up that, that dot maybe with the reflection of the light and if it's really sunny or something, you can't pick up that dot. At least you have your irons. Yeah. For a defensive gun, you definitely want some sort of backup besides the red dot without a doubt. Yeah. Now, and that was kind of where I was going with that. I think there's, it is a legitimate concern. I mean, yes, technology can fail and it can break. Uh, absolutely. But are there ways to minimize that risk? And, and there are. And, and, and having a good set of backup irons. I mean, like I said, even this little narrow notch on, or, or not that deep of a notch on the back of this uh, Romeo 1, in a pinch, and I've because I've tested it, I can still shoot effectively at least... 25 yards and in with that, you know, kind of minimal minimalist backup uh, sighting arrangement on that gun. I've got a SIG 320 RX. Everyone's going to think I'm a SIG fanboy, um, <laughs> which may be true, actually, to a <laughs> degree. I, I have I have several Glocks and I have several SIGs. I've got uh, XDs. I've, you know, I've got all kinds of guns, but uh, <laughs> SIGs have been a little bit popular with me recently, especially on the, on the uh, competition side of things. But... Um, I got the RX as well that has that slide uh, cut for the uh, Romeo One, and it's got the suppressor height sights basically that co-witness very nicely. Having those sights, I think, is really key. So my recommendation would be if you're going to do a a slide mounted optic on a pistol, have backup irons. Pretty simple. Um, it that might mean that you've got to have a little bit more cost into your you know, modification to getting that gun, you know, to where it's optics uh, set up and ready. Uh, but I think it, as cost is, I think it's easily justifiable and, and well worth it. And another thing too, is you, uh, this maybe kind of counters what you said earlier on Bruce, but you get what you pay for. And I think you kind of made the case that, Hey, we, we can still produce good quality, but charge a very reasonable price. But there are points and levels where you, you go too cheap, now, whether that's with some, you know, really cheap optic, or maybe that's even with going with some sort of uh, uh, provider of services out there. Some, you know, I'll tell you. Here's what I've seen, by the way, Bruce, and I think you're probably with there with me on this. Um, you talked about, hey, you know, 
guys with CNC machines, whatever. I mean, a lot, a lot of guys out there can make these cuts and can do this different work. And it's, you know, it's specialist work, but it's, there's a lot of guys doing it. I see a lot of guys, I see a lot more guys that set up little, you know, garage seracoding operations. And I see a lot more screwed up guns from guys that, that claim they can do seracote and they suck. It's usually because of slide prep, um, you know, and other shortcuts that they're taking, whether it's intentional or they just don't know any better as to how they actually are supposed to to do that coding appropriately. Yeah, definitely, man. It's uh, it's kind of sad because it, it gives a what's really a very good coding, if it's done correctly, a bad name because there are lots of guys out there who are just, oh, I would never Cerakote my gun and whatever, whatever. And, at the end of the day, when it comes to the Cerakote work, you've just got to really know who you're sending your stuff to because there's Cerakote certified companies out there who are doing terrible work. And there's people who are not Cerakote certified who are doing some of the best work in the country. So that certification means absolutely nothing. It just means you took a class. It doesn't mean that you're good at doing it. So all you can really do there is kind of do a little bit of homework about who you're about to send your stuff to. That's, I mean, without a doubt, because like you said, there's some, there's some pretty bad, pretty bad work out there as far yeah. as Cerakote goes for sure. I and see. Guys, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say you guys, you guys, um, pretty active on like Instagram and stuff, posting pictures of your Cerakote work that you guys do in house. And it's, it's always top notch. And I mean, I'm looking at my slide and I mean, there's no blemishes or anything. I mean, no, no tooling marks and no blemishes on the Cerakote, which, I mean, you guys obviously know what you're doing with the Cerakote. You guys do it enough where you, you, you know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, originally we were, we were sourcing the Cerakote work out because we, we didn't have time for it and it, it was never anything that we intended on getting into. Um, but when the work started coming back and <laughs> it just wasn't up to muster with the level of quality that we were going to send out the door to our customer. We just got to a point where we just, we just ate it, started writing checks for Cerakote equipment and figuring out how to do it all the right way. And then it's at the point where it's at now. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd put our work up against anyone's work. I mean, like you said, it's, it's up to snuff. Yeah. Another area I see shops that sometimes make mistakes or cut corners or whatever is even with, prepping that slide for various work and not just the prep for the Cerakote, but taking the gun apart. Okay. As far as damaged sites, marring, uh, lost pieces. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, the, your procedures that you follow for, because I'm very impressed by the way, with your prices, not only that, but your site here says all slide works ships back free. So what I'm reading there, that price, yeah, I've got to get it to you, but you're going to ship it back to me included in that price. That's also amazing. And slides do not need to be sent stripped. We will disassemble and reassemble for free. Yeah, Ooh. man. So uh, I can kind of walk you through basically what happens with your stuff from the minute we get it. Um, it gets received in. You ship it in with your work order. That, that would be emailed to you after you uh, make your order. We'll receive it into our system note your serial number down so it doesn't get lost when it's going through the various processes. And then your bin, your, I'm sorry, your slide and your work, work order gets assigned its own bin. So when your slide gets taken apart, it's put in one bin with all your parts. So there's no way anything can get mismatched, you know, get, get put somewhere. It's not supposed to be put. Um, from there, it'll get batched up with other slides to be machined for similar cuts. 
Um, from that point, it'll go to our Cerakote shop where they will ultrasonically degrease it. It gets blasted with media that gets changed very often. Like usually every two to three weeks, they change media. Um, from that point, it gets degassed, which if you know anything about Cerakote, that's part of the process there. Gets pulled out, uh, cooled back down to room temperature, sprayed, and then finally it gets cured. At that point, it gets checked. Now, you know, if there's any spots, there's any imperfections, there's any light spots, anything like that, no questions asked. It goes back to the entire coating process all over again, from cleaning to blasting all over again, all back done. If, it, if the side's got to be sprayed once or it's got to be sprayed 10 times, the customer's going to get it 100% flawless before it goes out the door. Um, and from that point, it gets put back together and shipped back your way. So awesome. it's, got, it's got quite a few little steps it goes through, but it's it's just... It's what's necessary to ensure that when you get it back, it's perfect. Cool. And you're using appropriate tools for disassembling, I imagine, as far as like sight pushing tools as opposed to like, you're not sitting there at, at the workbench hammering on my slide, <laughs> right? Trying to knock out a rear sight. <laughs> yeah, man. Some of the, some of the refinishing that we've seen come through is pretty gnarly, man. Like <laughs> sites that look like someone's dog used it for a chew toy. Um, <laughs> Parts that were, instead of just being disassembled from the slide, they were just masked around and blasted around. Uh, slides that were never blasted, period. They were just Cerakote applied yep. right over the factory finish. And and that just goes back to, you know, the shops that are given a really good coating when it's done right, a bad name. Because, you know, so many people think it's garbage. And when it's done correctly, it's a very good finish, especially when you think about the cost. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, one last question for you, Bruce, because uh, I promised Trey I'd ask it. Uh, and I, I'm curious for myself, uh, and this is going to be putting you on the spot a little bit, and you can okay. totally not answer if you choose to. But the question is, <laughs> can you cut the P365 for a, a, a red dot uh, uh, optic? I have not have one in hand yet to say, but yep. if you're willing to do without your slide for a little while and send it to me, I will be more than happy to tell you what we can and can't do to it. <laughs> I'm thinking that uh, Shield RDSC might be kind of cool on there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. If you're uh, like I said, if you're ever willing to part with it for a little while, just get with me and send it over, and I'll definitely let you know what can and can't be done. We'll see. I it, it Riley will part with his it, right. It's an idea that's intrigued me, but but I'm not sure if I want to have a red <laughs> dot on that little thing or not. But it, it is an idea that has intrigued me. So I, I, I did see somewhere online, I don't know how, I haven't verified this, but somebody out there, because I heard initially that there was not enough material on the top of these slides to, to make that possible, to, to mill this for one of those RDSCs. Um, but I saw a post somewhere where somebody supposedly did that, and I was like, hmm, okay, that's pretty cool. I know oh. guys are doing it with the 43, yeah, the 43, you can fit a shield RMS on it. Um, but like you said, you're right about a lot of the SIG slides. Just the way they make them um, with like the detachable extractor assembly, how the whole thing just comes out in one, you're yep. left with just basically a shell of a slide and there's just nothing there to mill and have room to drill and tap. Um, so that's why right now we're just milling the P320s. But I yep. mean, if I could ever get a hold of a 365, I'd love to add it to, to our list of services. <laughs> now you you presently, you do most of your work, obviously, for Glocks, but you also do work on CZs and uh, MMPs. Is that right? 
Yeah, we do all Glock models. Uh, we do the Gen 1 MMP9s. We're trying to push into the 2.0s, but just haven't had time to get around to it. And uh, for CZs, we do cuts for the PO7, PO9, and we're about to start cranking out P10 cuts. Nice. Yeah, that P10 is a sweet gun too. Cool. Hey, hey, you know, Bruce, appreciate your time today. Uh, hopefully this is, this is probably a little bit different episode from many of the episodes we've done, but I, I hope we've kind of covered... A lot of different things from modifications to the practicality of those modifications to maybe even a little bit of some of the legal stuff. Um, hopefully this is helpful for some of you out there that maybe have been wondering about this or thinking about it, or maybe you weren't thinking about it before, but now you're kind of like, well, maybe I might explore this. So if you got any questions or you want to check out uh, what uh, Bruce and his team over at Primary Machine are up to, head on over to primarymachine.com and... Uh, yeah, he, I'm sure you'll you'll take good care of him, right, Bruce? Yeah, man. I mean, we'll definitely try our best. <laughs> <laughs> I know Matthew is very happy with uh, what what you did for him. Yeah, and you know what? One thing I didn't mention, um, or I want to mention, is that you know you guys do a good job of keeping in contact with the customer. You send an automatic uh, email confirmation once you get the slide. Once it goes from you know receiving to its prep work, you send out an uh, um, an email that says, "Hey, it's in prep work. This is where it's at. This is where it's at." So it's kind of cool. You can kind of everybody likes to you know get that confirmation that you know their their slides being worked on, or you know you get something shipped to you. You get the the tracking number, and you you like to see you know it traveling towards you. So um, that's a that's a cool feature. I, I, I don't know if other companies do that, but you guys definitely do. And I, I appreciated that as well. Yeah. I mean, the the whole process is kind of part of the excitement of getting the slide work done and getting, yeah. getting it back to you, you know? So because <laughs> yeah. then once you get it back and you see it, like you're excited, but then you're just like, man, now the journey's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, for sure. And Matthew, you you did a nice little write-up on our website. I just posted the link here in the Facebook comments. It'll be in the show notes as well of today's episode. Uh, if you guys want to see uh, Matthew's gun, his Glock 43 that uh, he got all this work done to, you can go check out that article. It looks great. Nice looking gun. I imagine it shoots well, Matthew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a Glock. I like Glocks, you know, <laughs> they shoot well. And, uh, and which trigger little... is that that's on there, by the way? It Sorry. is a um, Overwatch Precision. Ah, yeah, those are good yeah. triggers too. Yeah, and uh, and then the only thing is, as I look at it, is you got those massive. Are those, those are the True Glow sights, huh? Yeah, yeah, that front <laughs> sight. They're, they, uh, I, I want like to get two inches them. long, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at different sights for this guy, and it, it, you know, once the slide cuts were made, it made it all that much bigger. You know what I mean? The, the front slide, the front sight, uh, just looked. Yeah. That much bigger. So nothing wrong with those sites. Those are great sites. They're no, yeah. very visible. They work extremely well. But but that was like my first thing when I saw that site overhanging that that cutout on the yeah. top of the slide. I was like, that's kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> if I could get some uh, excess sites on here, probably I'd I'd do it. Dude, do it. Uh, yeah, he's talking about these ones that are on my Glock forty three. Mm-hmm. Yep. Th these they're a great site. Uh, or are you talking about that or like the big dot? Maybe you're, you're thinking. Well, I have dot. a big dot on my 27 that I really like, but, um, the, the new F eight, I the think F8 that's the, killer. yeah, I, I think that'd be a, be something I'd, yeah. I'd like to try out. On it, it made a world of difference on the shootability of my 43. So anyway, guys, Hey, uh, it's time to wrap it up. Um, appreciate Bruce for being a part of this episode today. Thanks for your time today, sir. 
Um, just a reminder as we begin uh, wrapping this up, uh, head on over to selfdefensequiz.com. Take that quiz. Test your legal knowledge. And um, maybe shoot us a message too. Let us know how you do. I mean, we'll we'll see everybody's results. They're they're anonymous or whatever. I don't know. But, but you know, let us know how you do. I'm curious how our listeners I, – I, I would guess, Matthew, our listeners will do better than – average yeah they should if they're listening if they've been awake and listening (laughs) (laughs) they better don't let us down guys and also just a a final word and reminder to uh if you're in the denver area at all or if you're able to be here in on march uh march may 17th to 19th uh our triple guardian three-day defensive handgun course concealedcarry.com forward slash may 2018 guardian go sign up Okay, this will be a, if you're looking to, you know, if you've taken a basic concealed carry course or you're just a, you know, kind of an average, you know, Joe or Jane, a gun owner, and you're just looking to, to step up your defensive handgun skills game, come and be part of that class. We'll be taking this class on the road later this year, uh, but this is the, one, the first one we're doing that's uh, here in the Denver area, which is local to Jacob and I. Matthew's coming out and teaching that along with us. We're excited to have him come out from Ohio to do that. Super excited. Yeah, it'll be fun. So head on over, get signed up. We'd love to see you guys. So with that, thanks again, Bruce. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Matthew. And Thank you, sir. we now head to, well, I guess you're not going to be at the NRA show, right? No, I will be here in Ohio. Bummer. But Jacob and I uh, and our managing editor, Josh, will be at the show, uh, as well as our social media dude. And so we'll be doing some social media uh, coverage. We'll be doing you know some other coverage. We'll be shooting a couple of videos while we're at the NRA show this weekend. Um, I As soon as we get offline here, I got to go finish packing because <laughs> I leave in a few hours. So we'll see those of you that are able to join us at the NRA show um, in Dallas uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, we'll be on site throughout the weekend. So travel safe, everyone. Take care. We'll be back next Tuesday with uh, our news episode of the week. So with that, a reminder to train safe, train often, and train right, train often, and train safe. I got to get this right. I don't know why I don't have it memorized yet. Train often, train right, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true, guys. Take care. We'll see you later. Laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.